Welcome back to Athletes Unplugged. I'm your host, Aquel Jackson. And today joining the show is my friend, Mike Sweetney. You may remember him from his time at Georgetown under the tutelage of the late, great John Thompson. And some of you may remember him being the ninth overall pick in the 2003 NBA draft alongside guys like LeBron James, Camelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and so on. But aside from talking about basketball, we're going to dive into the mental health and some of the struggles that he dealt with while he played the game that both of us can relate to. So with that being said, Mike, thanks for joining us, man, and thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Nah, DQ, I appreciate you having me on, man. Just been watching you, man. See you doing your thing, man. So if you to have me on, man, I'm glad to be part of this, man. So I'm excited. No, it, I, yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time because I really think mental health is a big part of – you've seen the last couple of years of how – you know, more athletes have been outspoken about some of the struggles they personally dealt with. You know, people like Simone Biles, you know, one of the top gymnasts in the world, uh, Paul George a few years ago in the bubble, you know, uh, some NFL guys like Calvin Ridley and Lane Johnson, some guys have been really outspoken about their mental health. But before we dive into all of that, I want to go back to where it all started with you. The first time you ever picked up a basketball, and who introduced you to the game of basketball? Yeah, so I started playing basketball at the age of nine. And uh, believe it or not, I hated it. You know what I'm saying? My father introduced me to the really? game. And uh, he, you know, he was, you know, he played, you know, a little bit of high school ball and uh, played in Maryland. And uh, so he, you know, wanted me to start playing hoops. He actually saw me shooting around in the backyard. He's like, no, I think you should be able to, you know, try this. I was like, nah, you know, I didn't want to, I just want to play a recess with my friends. So he put me in a structure system, you know, at Oxen Hill Boys and Girls Club. And, um, you know, I didn't want to do it. I used to lie and say I didn't have practice and all types. <laughs> right. And he was like, nah, we're going to do this. You're going to go. And um, believe it or not, within a month, I just started loving it because my first coach, actually, uh, Daryl Moore, probably one of the greatest human beings you want to meet. And I guess he made me kind of like obviously fall in love and get more comfortable with the game of basketball because he was such a, just a great person. So I think that helped me. You know, if I would had a different type of coach, I don't know what way it took me, but having him, as my first coach really helped me just like love it and make it just you made it fun for me. Yeah, yeah. So it was like an extended, extended family member, but you're yep, doing something sure. you love to do. No, yep. I, I completely understand that. So I would imagine you were probably a big, big kid, right? Like what what position did you start off playing? Were you a center? Okay. Or were you a point guard? Like what what was what was that like? Because I'm sure you weren't six eight at that point, right? Yeah. No, so I was um I wasn't as, I wasn't one of the tallest kids. I was wide. I was always had a, you know had the size to me. I was kind of wide, but I was you know average height for a kid that age. Yeah, that would put me down in the post. And um I think that's one of the things that probably benefited me later on in my career. I was always like that undersized person at my position. So I kind of learned at a young age how to use my body to get my shots off, get rebounds, and things uh, like that. So, I see. It kind of like little things and I look back at like wow that could really benefit me because me being a six eight power four when I was playing in the NBA, you know, guys are six eleven, seven feet I had to go against, but I knew how to right. move them around because of my body. So Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I'm thinking about so my first love, I don't know if you know, was basketball. Yep. If you would have told me growing up I was gonna play eleven years as a professional athlete, I would not have chosen football. It was basketball. Like, I loved it. I slept with a basketball. Like, that was my first love. But I do remember growing up and playing. And, well, I do remember coming here for the first time, the DMV area, and going to a high school game. And I had to remind myself, Mike, that I was at a high school basketball game because everybody was like – there was, like, legit size. Like, it was a guy playing center 6'8", six, 6'9", six, a point guard 6'3". Yeah. Like these were college heights and they were playing at a college level, something that I had never seen before growing up in Florida. 
you know, back in Florida, football was religion. Here, basketball is religion as well as football. Mm-hmm. But uh, so let's 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 speed up to okay. So you, I, I want to say I'm, something real quick. Or something. I'm gonna pick you back on something you said. You probably don't remember this, but when you played in my charity game. Yeah, man, I'm glad. Kid. I'm glad you brought and it up. So you was like a kid in the candy store. I was like, man, you like really yeah. love who? And I remember you yeah, coming bro. to the bench and you telling me that you was like, yo, this is like my first love. I was like. Yeah, you, know, you were like you know you was pumped to be out there, man. Oh, <laughs> so I, when you got, like, I believe it when you said that because like I remember I don't know if you remember, I remember that conversation. I remember it's like, yo, it's my first love, man. Oh, so what, I I, what I don't think you you remember. I do remember that by the way, but man. I remember uh wifey when when we talked or whatever, was like, all right, you're doing a charity basketball game. I'm like, all right, cool. Cause I don't know if you knew, but I I was going to camp maybe in another two weeks, so I was <laughs> in the best shape of my life. But we hooped every day. Part of my training was hooping. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to drop 25, 30. Right? In my mind, I'm like, this is, this is going to be an easy game. Everybody yeah. go kind of take it easy. You know, I'm going to get you know something to brag about. Yeah. But, man, when I got there, bro, I realized every, I'm, I'm watching. I'm looking. I'm like, hold on. He played. He played. I was the only – was I the only civilian, bro? I seemed like everybody else was either – Play, had played professional and just played past high school. Let's say that. Everybody there was um, professional overseas or ex-NBA players. So you was the only football yo, player. Yo, <laughs> yo, I got set up. I got set up. Yo, when I tell you, I had to guard Phil Goss. And Phil, that's my man. Yep. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, we going to, let me, you know, kind of keep up with the pace. I went, I ran down, up and down, bro. When I tell you I was gassed, I had never, at that moment, I realized, I'm like, oh, shit, like, this is a different type of conditioning. These guys yeah. are in different shape. But, like, that was, man, I ended up, that. that's another, yo, I, I got humble. Let's say that. I got humble. I thought I could hoop, but yeah. y'all put me in my place, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so I'm sure you had a, a great AAU career. You know, you're probably traveling, doing things like that. What was that like for back then coming up in the, eight, the, the kind of basketball uh, circuit? Yeah, so uh, I started off playing AAU with um, one team. Um, I started off playing with them. And uh, so what happened was I wasn't seeing the floor at all. Like, I wasn't seeing the floor at all. And then uh, mm-hmm. Coach uh, Trevor Brown, he coached at National Christian Academy, um, mm-hmm. he came to me and he was like, um, hey, look, come play with my team. Yes, it's a year, you know, year younger. Because I was at that weird age where I had a late birthday where I can play a year younger. Right. Where if I'm 12, I can play with 12 and under guys and not play because I was playing 13 and under. Mm-hmm. Like, come play with me because at that time my confidence was shot. I ain't know, you know, I was. He's like, Man, like I see it in you. And he brought wow. me down to his team. We went to a tournament in Florida and I turned it out. And that's wow. when I knew, like, All right, this is what's up. Okay. So, like, it, I, I was a little bit different because I didn't, that was the only time I really played. I only played AU maybe a couple of times, a couple years. Okay, okay, so okay. I, I really committed to Georgetown after my freshman year in high school. So I, I heard about that. I heard about that. I was like, Wait a minute. I, I also heard you were like, Maybe freshman sophomore year you were around like six three six four and then you hit this massive growth spurt. Yeah, was that was that after you hit the growth? Were you committing to Georgetown after you hit this growth spurt? No, so I was six four in my freshman year in high school, and then that summer I blew I blossomed to six eight. And that beginning wow. of that school year, my sophomore year is when I committed to Georgetown, and I never played AU again after that. They was like, oh. they was like, we don't want you playing no A because I wasn't ranked high. Oh. I wasn't no top one hundred player. I wasn't none of that. Are you like, serious? Yeah, they was like, look, because, like, Big John kind of just, you know, I was in the backyard. He was like, look, there's this kid. Wait like, a minute. I never knew that. I never knew that, Mike. I'm like, thinking Merlin, you were just Merlin top never five. Recruited, like, Merlin. Merlin's recruited me. 
You kidding, dude? Yeah, yes, sir. I had like mid majors a little bit towards the end of my career, but I, yeah. Do you th do you think it was because you committed so early? No, I mean schools are still trying to get me because once you commit, you ain't signed, so they still try. Right. But it was more so, I think you know, obviously you know, especially now, I didn't play AU, so only people who saw me was during the high school season and the summer. Nobody saw me, so I wasn't on those camps and getting rankings and. Wow. Seen, so that's why I wasn't no highly ranked, but Georgetown knew that. It was like, look, nah, committed to us. You ain't got to play no AAU no more. We'll take everything. That's wild. That goes to show you the level of competition in this area. You weren't highly ranked like mid-majors, and you were the ninth pick of the NBA draft yeah. among some of the greatest players to probably ever pick up a basketball. So mm -hmm. let's go there. So, you know, I couldn't help but when I started reading about your story, and I'm glad you've been open about it. Some of the struggles you've dealt with from a mental health standpoint. I couldn't help but think about the highs that I had when I was drafted. I'm around my close family and friends. I get to share that moment with them because obviously you put in the work, but you have a lot of people along the way to help you get over that hump. So if you could, Mike, walk me through. So for us, we have a rookie symposium where in football, they tell us about you know, the, the trappings, the girls, the nightclubs, you know, they have people come up and, and, and talk about some of the things they got involved with that we should avoid. Right. So it's it's a full on, onslaught of just information for three days. Tell me what happened if you could, in your own words, you know, you're at the highest of your high and you get, you know, dealt some dev devastating news that pretty much kind of shook your world up. If you could speak on that, if you could. Yeah. So actually, I was what you said. What you were saying, I was called rookie rookie transition program. Mm -hmm. uh, we was uh, pretty much the same exact thing, but just different <laughs> different phrases. So I yeah. Was that. yeah. And uh, you know, we couldn't have our we can have our phones like in the mornings or something like that. But then once we in that session, they look no cell phones, none of that. Like you know, you can't be on it, can't be texting or calling, right. taking calls. But I had my phone in my pocket and it kept uh, like vibrating. So I was like, hey, what's going on? I just like everybody knew I came on my phone. What's going on? I look, I had like right. 20 missed calls from my brother. So I'm like, man, all right, something ain't right. So I told him, I said, look, man, my brother called me 20 times. He knew I came on my phone. Like, it got to be an emergency. He's like, all right, you got you know a minute to take this call and see what's going on. So I called him. He's crying hysterically. He told me, like, yo, like, daddy's gone. I'm like, what? I had literally just talked to my pops that morning. So talked to him that morning and that evening he was, you know, well, I'm sorry, early afternoon, he was gone. So within like a three hour span, he was gone. I'm like, wow. Mm. And um it was it was it was tough. I was like, man, all right. So I yeah. went home and uh with, so weirdly so I went back to my apartment in New York and I where my you know girlfriend but wife now was yeah. at the time and like you know she consoled me because she really just experienced that same situation I did. But her father, she you know, she kind of expected her father, but her father had passed. Mm -hmm. I think a year and a half before mine. Uh, so she was kind of understanding on what I was going through. So she was, right. took me through it and took me back home to Maryland. And we had the funeral. And um, so they told me, they was like, hey, you know, take the, you know, take some time off. And I'm like, nah, man, like, you know, basketball. Right. Like, you already you know as an athlete, like, right. once right. you don't feel that court, that's your right. couple hours of just to disconnect from the world. And just, and, you know, whether it's hitting, yeah. on some, hitting somebody, bumping on some, whatever it may be. Right, right. You know, kind of just let it go a little bit. And I was like, nah, I want to use that. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that was the culture. And that was a culture back then of, okay, your outlet, your grieving period, your mourning process is to go out and perform the job you're supposed yeah. to perform. But a lot of people that aren't, that's never been a professional athlete, that's never played at the collegiate level at a high level, understand 
just the amount of pressure that it is on an individual to 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 reach those expectations for himself, let alone for the family and friends, expecting him to play at a high level and be this household name. Mm. So let me ask you, during that process, I know you said you decided to come back. The team said, hey, you know what? Take some time. You didn't. I would have done the same thing. Come back, try to play it through, see how things, you know, kind of progress. Did the team provide any added assistance in terms of, you know, hey, this guy probably needs some extra someone to talk to. Oh, can you tell me what was the culture like in the NBA and particularly in your current situation during that time? Yeah, so I, I'll just say this. So, like, one thing, so mental health wasn't talked about in 2003, what it is. Every now everybody talk about it's comfortable. There's right. assistance. So back then it was like kind of like, oh, it was more so like, hey, checking in. You all right? Anything? Wasn't like, mm-hmm. hey, we have this counselor. We have this. We have this program or this person outside of talk, it was kind of not, it was just like, hey, how's it going? How's your family? And kind of keep it moving type of situation. And what was probably the hardest thing for me was I probably, I got drafted to one of the most, at that time, one of the most toxic situations. Recognize, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the next at point, man, we had, you know, the sexual harassment suits going on. You know, yeah. GM owners weren't getting along, coaches fighting along each other, players, like, it was just, a, it was a zoo. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm 19 years old, and I'm just throwing the middle, so like, I'm chop living, nobody care about me. <laughs> So I was wow. like, you, can't, you know, you know, fit in when you can. So it was a toxic situation, man. So on top of grieving my pops and then just, you know, I got to a point. I just hated going to practice and games, man, because I, I tried to use basketball as an outlet, but like it became like kind of personal with me, like a weird personal situation because like everything I did, like when I first went to training camp, man, I dominated. I just knew I was going to yeah. be a starter. Right. And he's like, right. And they pulled me to the office before the first game. It was like, I'm thinking they're going to tell me, they're like, all right, great news. I'm the starter, right? Right, right. Like, That's what... Yeah, um, you know, you're not going to dress. So what? Like, I mean, you're not going to play. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm not going to get the minutes. I'm like, nah, you're going to be in a suit. Coach, oh don't like playing, coach don't like playing rookies no matter what they do. So I'm who like, – wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I got to – I got to – hold on, wait. You, you are ninth pick of the draft for yeah. the Knicks. You're supposed to play. Like oh, that – the way things – was there anything – like what what – what was the outside for? What happened? Like, so what, now, you were dominating. So now the older, I know, I understand the business. So at that time, we had the highest payroll in the NBA. Like, uh, I think at that time, it was $100 million, which is, at that point, it was like crazy. Yeah, that was, like, anybody else, maybe like 70 at the highest. So it was like astronomical. So we had four people in my position making like 10 and above. So, oh, yeah. so the owner's yeah. like, look, man, he making, you know, coming out making $1 million, $2 million, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Look, look, I want my money on the floor. I don't care how good this dude is. He wanted his money on the floor. Right. Not, you know, as you see, as that's why it was like really hard for the next few years because it was all about whoever's making the most money and he's on the floor. Even if a guy's older, not don't have it no more, you know, it was, right. that's, that's the situation I was in. No matter what I did, you know, it was whatever. So I would get minutes here and there. And as soon as I would have moments where I would like showcase that what I could be, he immediately right. like pull me out. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so, I can see that. I can so see going that through that, man, it just took its toll, man. I just fell out of love with the game at that point. It's just like, wow, like something that I used to have, you know, now I'm older, I understand it's right. a business, but I didn't understand it at 19 years old. I didn't so have no OGs on the team schooling me, telling me, hey, this, you know, this game, just stay patient, you know, do this, do that. Right. It, was, it was so toxic. Everybody just trying to find their way and they fighting amongst each other. Like I said, I didn't have that. You know what I'm saying? That guy that kind of showed me the ropes and like, look, just stay patient. Try to, you know, keep fighting, do it, working out. I didn't have it. Right. You were 19. You, yeah. were not, you were a kid. 
and thrown it, thrust it into a situation where you just have been dealt the most, the, the, the biggest obstacle you won't have to overcome the loss of your father who was there through every practice and games and you had that support system and now you're being thrust into a as you call it just a you know a situation pretty much with no control uh what did you at the time did you realize this shift emotionally that you know what this is something that i love and now it's become more of a burden than actually you know waking up in the morning and being excited to go to practice did you notice i'm and I don't know this. I'm not a clinician. I'm not claiming to be. I'm not a doctor, but I'm trying to learn more about it myself because I have a story to share with you in this in a minute. Did you understand at that moment? I know it's early on. Did you understand like what it was doing to you or what would, do you remember your mindset during that time? Or it had to to me looking now hindsight is 50 50, but looking into it, it's like, man, he probably you probably don't know the emotional toll is taking on you while you're in that fire and going through that. At that moment, is that fairly? Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's spot on. It's one hundred percent. At the time, like you know, I knew something wasn't right because, like, to my beloved game that I used to have, like, like you know, high school, you know, growing up, you know, that was my punishment. The way my parents like, nah, you can't go outside and play basketball. And I would be livid. Like, man, you, right? You know, so, same here, same. Yeah, <laughs> so, like that was like my punishment growing up, and then it got to a point where it's, I didn't even want to go to practice, man. Like, I was just like, ah, like going here, I'm sitting there thinking of stuff. What can I say? You know, say not to go or try to fake an injury. I, stuff was crossing my mind. I'm like, wow, right, right, right. And let me, I, I, so I gotta admit. So when you agreed to come on the show, I actually did some research myself, and I heard you. I think you were on the uh, Mayim Violet show, and either I think you talked about during that time the insurance of the NBA. You know, during that time didn't cover or I, maybe I may be, you know, you know, jumping the, the gun a little bit, but the NBA, if I'm not mistaken, didn't cover you seeking outside treatment for a therapist or anything like that. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. So when I was playing insurance, um, you know, that's big, man. Cause that, that, that is, you know, obviously everyone looks at professional athletes. You have all this money, this, that, and the other, but if you don't have the resources, part of the PA, in my opinion, the union's responsibility is making sure they're taking care of a 19 year old or 18 year old. Cause that, during that time you could still, you could leave out of high school. Right. And you know, you have to have these things. I know times are changing now, but it's just mind blowing to know that the NBA and I'm not trying to like, call the nba out i think they do a, a wonderful job uh being proactive about social issues but that's mind-blowing to know that you didn't have you had to come out and pay out of pocket to seek help for something that you know being in that environment is such a stressful environment that a lot of people aren't privy to no i agree so like now you know it's you know even i think a lot of insurance companies do put mental health in their you know plans that they take care of it um but at that time when i was playing it was uh yeah, it wasn't it wasn't corporate. So you got to pay out of pocket. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, I don't think the teams even really cared about mental health. No. At that point. You know, so it's one of those things. It was actually frowned upon. Like you was soft or weak if you probably say those type of things. Or or Dean, like I would use Matter World Peace for example. Dean, right. people thought he was crazy. I had many conversations that dude. He far from it. You know, he right. was, he has right. his team. He probably battled you know personally, but right. he was crazy. So it was like a weird way. It's a weird space to be in. The yeah. weird space to be yeah. in. You, so like, you're hey, already being 
viewed of being a professional athlete and you probably had to deal with being a high draft pick and not playing and have to deal with that pressure on top of everything else. So let me go to a place where if you don't want to talk about it, we don't we don't have to touch on it. Uh, I read someplace um, you were still playing with the Knicks and you were in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, this was a dark time for you and. And thank God you're here to talk about it because you become an advocate for mental health. You, I've read someplace you you've gone to homeless shelters, drug abuse centers to get your story out to tell people, hey, it can affect us all. And you're you're a walking symbol of you know life after being in that dark place, and that you continue to work on. So, if you could, you know, can you can you walk me through that time in Cleveland where you decided you made a decision that could ultimately could have ended your life. Yeah, so I remember we were in Cleveland um, on the road, and like I said, I wasn't getting minutes. I was tired. It was just like I just I had a, kind of had enough, and I remember just being in my room, just crying hysterically. I had the shades darkening and everything, you know. And my intention, you know, it was a bottle of pills I had, and um, I took multiple of them, and hoping that it would, you know, end it all. I was just just that tired, man. I just didn't want to wow. deal with them more. Like right. money didn't matter, none of that. Me being an NBA player didn't matter. I was just tired of just. The basketball situation, just life in general, and um, yeah, and obviously, you know, big guy. What I took, it made me feel horrible, mm-hmm. but it didn't, obviously didn't affect me. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I know where my mind was, but right. I didn't really know what I was doing to whatever. So I was just like feeling horrible and had to get up the next morning and go to a shoot around for practice for the game. And mm-hmm. remember I telling them, "Hey, look, I got, I feel like I had flu symptoms." I tell them, told them something crazy. They like, "All right, you know, let's go ahead and sit out." And I'm just in disbelief, like I really just wow. trying to, you know, take all these pills. I'm feeling like I'm feeling horrible. Right. No, I know at that point I don't know. Obviously, I just thank God that I'm still here. I don't know what I probably did to my system. I know I probably should have went to the doctor, or hospital to get, yeah, you know, checked out or something like that. But yeah, it was just you know, it was, it was, it was enough, and I just couldn't. It, what yeah, I, it just goes to show, like mental, just mental health is the greatest like equalizer. Doesn't care about race gender, pro- professional athlete, non-professional athlete, it's just, you know, it's blind. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to those people that that say, you know what, that's selfish, if you're thinking about taking your life, and which they know nothing about being in a dark place, like what, what would you say to those people to give them insight of, you know what, to make it, to become a p- professional athlete, to play for John Thompson and to be in that situation, you have to overcome a lot of different things thrown at you. So much, so much so. And in my opinion, there's no professional player that's mentally weak because all the things you have to go through. What would you say to those people that say, you know what, you know, taking your life to uh, uh, choosing to, to go that route is, is is selfish and so forth. Like, what do you say to those people? Like, what insight so, can you give to those it's, people? It's interesting. That's a, that's a great thing you said. So I've had I've had conversations with people at work, and you know, mm-hmm. that I, when I've been at work, that I come across with them try to commit suicide, and you know, I've been with I've been in clients that literally try to commit suicide that night before, and I got to you know talk to them the next wow. day. And wow. um, the the most common thing I hear is is a blackout moment. A lot of times, most people don't even realize or kind of remember. They, I mean, obviously, if they have marks or something that people tell right. them, they don't really remember what they actually did. So it's kind of one of those moments where you kind of just you black out in a way. And so it's right. like, I get it both ways when people say, oh, man, it's so selfish. But a lot of times, people can't, when you mental health, you can't control it. Right. Some, most of the times, that stuff is not, it's not controlled. 
Right. <laughs> so right. you're not being yeah. yourself. You're not yourself. You're not, yeah, you're not yourself. So it's one of those things, you know, I was like, me. I had a moment and I realized afterwards, like, man, like, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I had a moment. So it, it, it happens. But I think, um, you know, when people that are actually, you know, getting to that point, I think you definitely, I always tell people like, man, you'd be surprised how much of a support system you have out there. And people right. that love you and care for you, like you know, when you feel in the server, you feel in that way, man. Talk to somebody, man. Let nobody that's yeah. somebody know how you feel because um, believe it or not, they're gonna support you and like more right. than you know, and, and a lot of times too, it's gonna be confidential, like it's not gonna be out there that you're this year or that, you know what I'm saying? You find somebody mm-hmm. you understand, and I'm not pushing everybody, hey, don't run to it, I'm not running everybody to a therapist. Sometimes it can be your local pastor, right. you know, your local church or your one of your close friends or teacher, right? Whatever it may be, find right. that person that you trust to talk to, man. And uh, I think for me, you know always knew that I had a great group of friends growing up and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, my mom and, you know, my wife now, well, girlfriend, yeah. wife now, like I knew that these people actually care for me. And, yeah. uh, and I knew that in the back of my mind. And, uh, so yeah. it was one of those things like, and even to this day, I just had a, you know, I had a, I had a talk with Gennaro. <laughs> I was yeah, just, yeah. 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 I was just with Gennaro. <laughs> and he still brings it. He brought it up, you know, something that happened well, 11 years. Oh, actually, wow. 17. <laughs> wow. Seven, 18 years. But he's like, man, why didn't you tell us? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Look, we would have been up there for you. We would have been there. Like, he was like mad at He's still mad at me about it. Literally, he's like, yeah. Yo, like, I, I'm still mad at you for you. Not telling. I said, I understand. Yeah, I get it. But for me, you know, yeah. now, obviously, I know what to do. But a lot of times, people right. are scared to speak up on how they feel. And yeah. just me, him saying that to me, realized, like, wow, I had, I had a support system at right. that point. So everybody, most people have a great support system behind. Obviously, some people have broken families and relationships. But a lot of people mm-hmm. do have a support system. And sometimes it can be, believe it or not, it can be strangers. Sometimes a stranger can be. Yeah, like, yeah, really yeah. There's no, there's no bias right there. Yeah. So just try to use your resources and your, your support systems, whatever it may be, before you know. And I always tell people a lot of times when you start feeling a certain way, try to catch it early. It's a snowball effect, you know. So you know, you know how sometimes oh, I'm gonna be all right. I'll get through this. The next right. thing you know, it becomes worse and worse. Right. I see. Like I said, I started in 2003. I didn't snap out of it until. What, 2011, 12, yeah. where I really started to like, and I can't really say that was when I started to turn the corner a little bit. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? So, like, but it, you know, it kept getting worse and mm-hmm. worse. It's like, imagine 03, if I would have went to my friends and say, look, this is how I'm feeling, man. Just come on up here and be with me, man. Right. Or, right. you know, no, that's, that's well said, man. That, that, yeah. that is, that is great insight, even for me. And, and I'm sure everyone that's going to tune in. And with that, I can share the moment that I had that that's why I feel like I can sympathize with a lot of people going through some some mental anguish uh, in their life and, and struggling. There was two there was two scenarios for me. There was one that uh, happened in college, my freshman and sophomore year of college. Um, I left Florida, going to Maryland. You know, it was like a different world to me growing up in this small little community where I was from. And so that was all cool and all you deal with the stresses of that but i had lost my grandfather and my grandmother and i had grown up with them they had raised me and my grandfather was the the alpha male in the in the the household that i i just had so much just like he never put his hands on me he never cursed at me you didn't want to disappoint him mm-hmm. you know what i mean he was that guy he was a bigger guy but he always instilled in me that I was going to do bigger and better things. I was going to go to college. I was going to be married. He was talking to me like no one else in my family ever conversed like that. You know what I mean? And when I lost him, I was ready to shut it down. Like I was ready to shut it down in college. And luckily for me, 
because I was in this structured environment, I was still a kid and not a pro. A woman named Natasha Chris, who I still keep in contact with. I talked to her this morning. You know, uh, she was like my big auntie. She would grab my my ass out of bed. You're, you're not going to feel sorry for yourself. And I would legit go to her office just to cry. I would just cry in her office. And she never told a soul. Um, I mean, it was just if it wasn't for her, Mike, like, I don't know what direction I could have went down. Like, it still chalks me up to this day. And oh, man, it was it was tough. And the other scenario was I was actually a pro. And again, I was at the right place at the right time. I've been injured two years in a row. I was at a place called IMG Academy and I was just feeling I wasn't I was not mentally in a good place. And then the lockout happened. So in my mind, I didn't think I was ever going to play again. So I had to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I looked at the bank account. I'm like, this ain't going to last me. Like, this ain't enough. Like, I need to change everything that I possibly was doing before and start from ground zero. And I met a guy named Trevor Moad. He called himself a mental conditioning coach. And he called me in his office. I talked to him and talked to him and talked to him. And that year, which led me to making the decision that I would have never made without talking to him. One of my buddies is from Sierra Leone. He built a school in Sierra Leone in West Africa. I make the trip there. Changed my life a thousand percent you know and it's just for me i was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and have people notice some things that were going on because addiction and and this stuff falls very close to my family mm-hmm. and knowing that you know it was always on the back of my head it's like okay i can't i can't touch this particular thing because i'm afraid where it may lead me to mm-hmm. so that's where I can sympathize a lot where, you know, I was in a very dark place mentally and I, by the grace of God, man, just, I had good people around me to, to see it before I, before, as you mentioned, it snowballed and morphed into something that, you know, God forbid, you know, I didn't have to go, you know, the route I had to go down, but um, let me ask you this. What did, I just want to say something real quick on what you said. That's a, yeah. Man, that's a blessing in disguise, man, because not many people have what you said. Like, people catch it. Mm-hmm. People catch it, what you're going through before you even, you know what I'm saying, catch it. I mean, I'm sure you probably had your feelings and inklings, but for to have people say, no, yeah. I got you and snatch you up and say, look, you know, I got you. Like, that's. And to wake up just just mm-hmm. thinking negative. And yeah. I was thinking about all the things that I didn't accomplish, all the things that I didn't do. I was mad at myself. I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror. Like, that's a weird place to be in. Mm-hmm. And if and I'll give you the floor back, man. I just it, it, it's it's touchy to even talk about it. And partly why I want to I created this platform to be able to talk about real issues, because this is therapy for me as yeah. <laughs> well. This is therapy for me, man. And I've been shared this with a lot of people. And you know what? You're one of those people now because you you understand, um, you know, what that feels like. Yeah, most definitely, man. Like I said, I, that's a that's a blessing in disguise, man, to have that. And, like, for you, man, I commend you on just being, you know, brave to say that, man. Because, you know, people look at sometimes, you know, athletes, whether you're played or, you know, retired, whatever it may be, they look at you as a, as a superhuman where, you know, oh, you got money in the bank, you ain't got no problems. Life is great, right? right. You know, you know, whether you got a dollar or a billion dollars, you're still a human at the end of the day. And you still got to deal with real life issues. Yeah, yeah, so you're right. A lot of times, you know, athletes get 
get caught up in that, you know, get caught up in a situation mm-hmm. where now it's being, it's getting there where people are starting to understand. But I've heard even mm-hmm. when Kyrie was going through this stuff, and right. Charles Barkley was like, I remember Charles Barkley made a comment like, "Man, Kyrie got two hundred million dollars in the bank. How is he need time? How is he depressed?" I'm like, "Man, that's so that's so crazy." Because I remember reading how he had just lost like two people in his life that was close, like a grandmother. Uh, so I don't know what it was. I don't want to misquote it, but I remember him remember hearing that he lost like two people close to him. In like uh, a few months span, I'm like, man, that's a lot. Yeah, that's money a lot. can't bring them people back. You know, money can't uh, stop you and your wife having an argument. You gotta go to work, or you got a parent that's sick. You know, mm-hmm. money can't right. fix everything. So, like, you pay your bills, good, have a good lifestyle, but that real life stuff, it can't yeah. fix it. So, I get it. Man. Right. Yeah. So, so you play four years in the NBA, and you you play two years with the Knicks. You get traded to Chicago, and at that moment, you know, what did I don't know this about after those four years? Did you decide to step away? Because I, because I, if I, my memory serves me correctly, you took a trip to South America or was it to play? Like, can you, can you, can you walk me through like that transition? You were with Chicago, then all of a sudden you end up in South America. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, like, um, I walked away from, I didn't, like, I had, I walked away from that game of basketball um, after my four mm-hmm. years. I actually had a contract for the Phoenix Suns to continue playing. Oh wow! And I remember telling my agent everything I was going through. I said, "Look," and I had literally, I had literally just got married. Just got married, mm-hmm. and I told my agent, "I need to step away from being a basketball." And um, wow, was he supportive? Huh? Was he supportive? Yeah, I mean, he understood. He was like, "Hey, man!" Like when I told him, you know, the extreme of my situation. I mean, <laughs> he had to honor, you know, maybe right. behind closed doors he was pissed, but at that point he had to. Um, yeah. Try to help me find a, you know, a therapist, you know, stuff like that's that. That's big. That's big of you to do that. And if I could interject for once, that's big of you to do that. And I just want to make sure I re- repeat this so everyone understands: you were ninth pick of the NBA draft, and you decided to step away after four years, after having a contract to to stay in this space and live out a dream. You chose. You know what? It's best for me to step away. Most people. If you really, if you can't understand mental health and, and someone being in a, a mental just fog, that is it. To yeah. step away from your lifelong dream, you got the floor. I just had to like reiterate well, no, that. You, man, no, thank you. But no, I think for my situation is, so when I stepped away and I said, look, right now I can't play, I'm going to step away. And uh, he, you know, they got, they found me a counselor. That counselor just wasn't, I would say this, it wasn't a good fit for me, that situation. Right, kind of for me thinking I'm just going to step away from the game of basketball for a couple months or maybe a half a year and come back at an all-star break. That was my mindset. Let me just get a counselor for a couple months, get myself together, and come back. Mm-hmm. And once I had that situation with the counselor, um, it just kind of sent me in overdrive. So I went from thinking I'm going to come back to another all-star break to can't get back in the league. It was just wow. that bad. Like, I just wow. you know, didn't. I never really recovered from that decision of saying I'm going to step away and thinking I'm going to come back. And um, right. You know, just you know, just you know, took some time off, and it just you know, it just got bad. And I ended up, you know, had you know, getting a job in Uruguay, South America, somewhere I never even thought about playing. They didn't even know it. To be honest with you, I'm not trying to sound like a dumb. I didn't even know. No, who? No, no, you no. I completely understand. Yeah, I got the call. I'm like, where? Who? Where you at? And it was just like, I kind of told them before I made that decision. But I kind of told the team for some reason I trusted in them. I don't know why. I just opened up and said, "This is what I'm going through." Is now we got somebody. And uh, once I did that, um, met a guy, Juan, down there. We connected. It was one of those situations, breakfast, lunch, dinner, all day. We just wow. connected. Um, and it was interesting because we had different religious beliefs, but 
mm-hmm. I found my connection with God back. I got my, I understood that, okay, my NBA career is over. What's next? You know, and uh, right. repairing relationships that was broken. And I came out, spent about a month or so down there, two months maybe. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, kind of had a, a different focus on life when I came back to the States. Also, I was able to, I was able to disconnect from the states. You know, back in Maryland, right? Everywhere I went, by me being a Georgetown guy, I always yeah, had yeah. My NBA career. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Why are you not playing, man? You a bust? I just had so many different things. So everywhere I went, it was right. like no peace of mind. So I'm just up at the house. So being right. in a warm country where people, yes, they they just they was happy to have me down there. I, I didn't right. hear that not one time. So I was able to kind of disconnect, recharge, from, yeah, disconnect, recharge, yeah. Kind of deal with when I got back. So when I got back to the states. It was kind of like you know hit the ground running in a way of recovery. You know, what I'm saying it still took time to recover, but I knew how to. I knew where to go from at that point. Okay, so there's a. I get that. So there's a name that jumps out to me, and I had to look him up myself because I never had heard of him. A guy named Tamir Goodman. Mm-hmm. They called him the Jewish uh, Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I right before we started taping, I went on and found a video of him in high school. That was a bad boy on the court, man. <laughs> And yeah. that's another story how he kind of, you know, his religious beliefs based on, you know, the colleges and what have you, they, it just never kind of materialized, but he's doing really great things. I realize um, you guys have become friends throughout this process, right? He's from Maryland and yeah. he asked you to go on a trip to Israel to, to, <laughs> to work a basketball camp. Yeah. And I'm trying to set it up. So like you're going to South America and I feel like at this time, you know, you're you're just open to you know. Obviously, you said the the just the pressures of being back in a place where you grew up and you play college ball. Anytime anyone sees you, they want to remind you of the past. Yeah, you're trying to move forward. Was yeah. that part of that process? Of like, you know what? This is a great opportunity. It's with a friend I trust. I'm going to go help him out in the basketball camp in Israel. Yeah, so it's funny. So I met Tamir. Um, actually, met in senior year of high school. Um, at a okay. couple classes together, like on a high school all star game. And we kind of met, um, you know, because uh, we kind of met then, and we kind of just stayed in touch throughout the years. Even when I was depressed, it was like weird. Like I was going yeah. through my. It's funny because now that we talk, we was going through the same thing at the same time, but we never discussed yeah. it. We was just he was like, "Hey, right. what's going on? How's life? You good?" Same right. thing. You good. And once we realized it, we were both in a dark place at the same time. We was kind of wow. just relying on each other, and didn't really know it. And um, so we right, kind of right. hit it off that way. And um, so he uh, moved from. Cleveland. He was living in Cleveland for years. Now he moved to Cleveland, Israel now. Mm-hmm. And um, he moved out there and uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to basketball camp out here. Why don't you come on out here to Israel? So at the time, my wife was like, nah, you ain't going out there. I said, <laughs> right, you right. Know, it was a thing. I said, you know, it, it was a lot going on at that time. Right, he's like, no, I'm in Jerusalem. I'm, you know, I'm by the Western Wall. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty safe out here, you know, where we're at, you know, which is cool. Yeah. So I, you know what? I'm going away. And I went out there and that, that was a situation where you know, we went as soon as we got on the plane. I went to the you know Western Wall and things that I seen the Bible. Oh wow! That I wow. saw in the Bible. I actually, you know, it's funny because he's a Jewish. I want to go to Israel. Yeah, it's one of those. I always tell people it's one of those places. It's a life changing place. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, it's the things you see in the Bible, you actually see them in real life. And you're going to a place. It's hardcore. Jew, you know, the yarmulkes, the whole deal. So, mm-hmm. and you're, you, you know, it's not like you you're gonna fit right in. Like you're mm-hmm. you're six eight black man. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure, like, if, yeah. if you tell me, I got to, you know, I'm a little hesitant, but I know I'm in good hands. Yeah, so, like, I went out there with him, and, uh, you know, so he kind of just, you know, showed me the ropes or whatever. And that 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 trip kind of t- turned my life around a little bit. Um, that's how I mm-hmm. started doing many things in the Jewish community. 
Uh, we were down there talking, and he, he was like, hey, you want to coach basketball? I had just moved to New York at that point. Okay. So about coaching basketball. And I was, I was like teaching that. He said, you should coach. I said, all right, cool. So he called up Coach Elliot Steinman from that Yeshiva University where I coach at now. He yeah. Said, Mike's saying my coach. And Elliot was like, all right, cool. No, no brainer. So we had a conversation, hit it off. And next thing you know, you know, that trip turned into me coaching at a Jewish college, me running Jewish after school programs, me, wow. you know, the, wow. company, the company that I'm, you know, doing, I'm partnering in, you know, New Horizon Council Center, you know, the CEO is an Orthodox Jewish guy. And like, yeah, yeah. The opportunity from that trip came from that trip. It was weird, like how, that trip that I was like hesitant on really just gave they embraced you. They embraced you, man. Yeah, they, it was, they embraced it was... my family where it's like, wow. So it's like, and I always tell people like my father, and it goes back to the values that my father taught me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care what race you are, I don't care what religion you believe in, I don't care about none of that stuff. As long as you can respect me as a person, as a man, we can right. have a conversation, we can get along. And that's how I am right now. I'm like, man, look, I don't care what you believe in religion-wise, what your race is. Long, long yeah. respecting, and we can have absolutely. And like, like I said, me and Tamir have way different religious beliefs, and we have conversations where I ask him questions, he asks me questions, but it's a respect thing. Like I respect him as a man, as how he tra- takes care yeah. of whatever. It's, so it's more so. So that's one of the things that me and him want to try to change the world. Like you know, mm-hmm. they'll just say, like, "Look, man, you know, as, as humans, let's respect people, each other as human beings." But obviously, we got to a right. point now in the world where it's just like, if I don't think your way, you don't think my way. Right, right. It's, it's, You're a horrible person. You're this. It's like, nah, we can have right. different views and still get no along. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. I guess that was meant to happen, man. That was meant to happen. Mm-hmm. And now you're ingrained in the Jewish community and they, they've embraced you. It seems as though they embrace you and you, you piggybacked off of one move that led to another and here you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you this. If I could go back for a moment and when you were going through some of these things and um, your wife was always there, you know, and I, what role did she play in that? Because listen, she, you know, as you mentioned early on, she had gone through a, a loss a year prior than you had gone through it. So I'm imagining you guys are still together. You have what, two, three, three yeah, kids, yeah, three, kids three, yeah. three, three, three beautiful kids. Yeah. I'm sure she played a huge pivotal role into, you know, all of this, like how important has she been in your progression and just journey through your, your your mental health. Um, I think it goes back to uh, what I said earlier, like you know, having that core group of people that that really loves yes. you. So yes. one thing, you know, and so funny because we both were learning mental health together at the same time. Mm. You know, what I'm saying like you know, yeah. we, we didn't she didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand really what was going on. And right. in that, and I think one thing she always tells me to this day, she was like, you know, because we started off as really close friends in high school, like we were like best friends in high school. Yeah, and one thing always says to me to this day, like you were my, like you were my best friend before all wow. this other stuff. You're my best friend. Wow, and I know the person that you really are deep in, and I knew that's not who you were at that time. And I just want to support you and be there for you because I knew who yeah. my friend was. And right. she's like, you know, it hurt me watching my friend go through that. And I just wanted to be there for you. And like, there be times where, man, I was, you know, be honest with you, I just wasn't a good person. Like, I, I would purposely push her away from me because I didn't right. want anybody to like me. I didn't want nobody to love me. I didn't, I, I didn't want nothing. I was like right. I'm pushing her away, and days like days I'm being that way to her. She just comes give me a hug or kiss on me. Wow! Wow! And Damn. like it was one of those things. Wow! Because you know a lot wow. of times, man, some, most women like man, scar you. Yeah, they they out of here. Right. But she was like, nah, like I love you. I'm gonna be there for you, like you know. And I oh, think in the back right. of my mind, no matter what I try to do, I always knew like, wow, this woman loves me. Like yeah, you know, she yeah got my best interest. Like, at my lowest point in life, 
She could at the very least, you're gonna seek this through for her because she yeah. she is your biggest supporter and she's yeah, there with yeah, you yeah, with, with day in and day out. Yeah. So, what was the moment when you realized when you were going through it, like, hey, you know what? Did you have or did you have a moment where he was like, you know what? I gotta okay, I need to like speak out. I need to well, not even speak out before we get to there that point. Did you have a moment? Uh, aha moments like, okay, I identified there's something going on, like you started making intentional steps to that road to recovery. The, was there a moment? I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. Was there a, 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 an event that happened or, uh, you know, birth of your kid, wh whatever it was, like, it, was there something to say, you know what? Okay, I'm in a tough place. I need to start slowly digging myself out of this mm -hmm. hole I'm in. I think, um, you know, was at a point where, you know, I was uh, sleeping in parks and parking garages. Because I, 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 for months, nobody knew that. I was for months, I was sleeping in parks and parking garages because I didn't want to know. I felt like a failure. I'm like, man, everybody's, you know, and get career gone. And, you know, I packed and left my house. I had my beautiful home. and But, you know, and then, you know, finding out that she was pregnant on my, my, my oldest son at the point, I knew yeah. I had to try to change something because, um, you know, the father that I had growing up, I was nowhere shaped, nowhere close to being that man my, my son would need. I didn't know how. I didn't know what was going to happen. But um, obviously, with prayer and just, Having right mm -hmm. my life and you know great group of friends and you know wife obviously um, kind of just got me in the right direction to get there. So it took me years to get out of it, but I think you know learning that you know I had a child coming into the world, I knew I had to make a change. Yeah. And I ain't been sitting and saying it happened then. No, it didn't. Um, right. That's when it clicked in my head. Like okay, I got a child. Right. Right. I got to right. make a change. And it didn't happen right then. Me, I had to figure it out. You know. Mm -hmm. As I'm learning, but I think that was a, one of the moments that changed. Like, wow, okay, because I knew, let's say, everything came back full circle. What my father was to me, father. Right. I mean, to, to this day, I like, man, I had a. And obviously, I'm sure he ain't perfect, but my eyes, my father was perfect. My father never missed a right. day, never missed a practice. Always wow. a support system, always loved me. You know, whatever he did, maybe he had stuff going on behind closed doors I didn't know about, but in my yeah. eyes, he was. A yeah, good. that's 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 how so, I hope my yeah. son views me at that age. Like, I'm his super. You know, yeah. superhuman. I'm his hero. So he yeah. sounds like a great, great individual. Clearly he is because you're doing, I mm -hmm. think you're having more of an impact. You were here. Things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. And I think your purpose, you had a you had a moment on the court, but I think your purpose is you're living it now with helping others and and speaking to young kids and 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 just letting them know, hey, I was whom a lot of people desired to be. But yet I stepped away from the game to work on myself. And it's a true testament to you. And listen, you were the you were the, the Trojan horse. You were out in front of this well before this kind of, you know, this 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 like tidal wave of emotions to to create a more inducive environment to help athletes and be more receptive to not just the physical, but the mental side of the game. You know, it's funny. I looked up uh, some stats from the CDC just I had never done it before. And like I said, I've been into this like mental health, just positive energy. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was a crazy stat that basically, you know, that kind of alarmed me. You know, people from the age of 10 to 34, the second leading cause of death is suicide. Yep. Like that is. You know, there's a lot to unpack there, but. When you talk to these kids, when you go out and talk to kids, like what what's your general message? Because that to me is a big range of, you know, that's a huge range, man. 
And for it to be suicide, that means a lot of external pressures of really, yeah. you know, creeping, seeping through. And I think we should be far along than what we are from the mental health space. So um, that's, that's amazing. So you, you head on with those stats and like, and break it down even more. Um, the teenagers are the ones who are the highest. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it's like, yes, those, that stat is right. But those, when it comes to those teenagers, man, it's it's unbelievable wow. stories I hear, man. Like the kids, like, you know, I, I've had kids tell me they want to commit suicide. They try to commit suicide because they wasn't fitting in on social media. <sighs> one person, like, man, this person had more life. I know we had, I bought the same hoodie as this one kid and, he got way more likes than me. People don't like me. People don't love me. Like people, really? like social media, man, has really messed a lot of kids up where they want, they, they, they think that's life that they want value from social media. They don't get the attention or, you know, it's, right. you know, cyber bullying. And it, it's so much these kids got to unplug from it. It's, it's actually sad. The stories I hear on a day-to-day basis, man, like, and it's, it's, it's crazy. So like, um, I just try to tell them like, look, man, it's one of those things I tell people like, especially teenagers, like, you're at an age now, man. Now, now I'm older. Like, you know, this, this probably should be one of the funnest times of your life when you're in high school. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you're not a go yet. I mean, obviously, a go hill is still fun. Don't get me wrong. But, like, <laughs> right. no, no real pressure. Like, have fun, man. Work hard. And obviously, everything that you work hard for might not happen. Let's just be honest. Right. right. You know, you might be working hard for a scholarship or, you know, to get certain grades. And it might not happen. I said, we got to learn how to, how do we deal with results? How do we deal with the results we don't want, we don't get? Right. I, I'm not trying to sound harsh at all when I say this to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to work hard for something that's not going to go your way. I hate to say right. it, but it's a fact. I'm like, how are we going to right. do That's are life. We, are, yeah. Are we going to keep pushing forward or are we, are we going to stop and we just going to like let our world just crash? Because one thing I learned, you know, I can have to say, what, 10 years of my life, I'm like, what just happened? Because the world kept going. Life kept going. Right. Well, my situation, right. life kept going. So I tell kids now, like, we gotta find a way to like when things go right. Okay, let's go let's pick ourselves. You have your moments. Let's pick yeah. ourselves and let's keep pushing forward. Um, right. Try right. to find the best of it. Okay, it didn't go my way now. Let me see if I can go another angle. Or you know what? Right. Um, it's okay. It's okay to say no. So like, right. no, the rejection is really. It's like I don't know how to fix it with kids these days. It's like, hey, you know, cause, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's a different breed now. It, it's like I think it's important for kids to fail and learn how to move on from failure. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's why sports is one of the biggest, you know, teachers in learning how to fail and coming back and learning how to fail, not learning, you're failing and coming back, yeah. you know, being resilient. And uh, so you mentioned something about the work you're doing now. Um, you're working with a, you partner with a group. Can you, can you um, talk a little bit about that? Like what you're, what you're doing? Yeah. So I partner with a group called New Horizon Counseling Center. So, um, Pretty much like, substance, substance abuse centers, um, homeless shelters. Uh, and we deal with a lot of people that's, you know, low income um, and just pretty much at the lowest point of their life. Um, we try to find ways to help them get, they don't have health insurance. Uh, people mm-hmm. like are homeless. So we help them find homes and um, help them get food stamps and just try to help them get their life, you know, back in order. And, right. uh, and uh, so for me, my purpose is um, with the company, I go around to all these centers and I kind of just share my journey and talk to people. And yeah. uh, you know, with the programs, I'm, I'm the middle guy to the CEO. Like I let them know, like, Hey, look, let's change this program. Let's change this program. Cause like, you know, right. what I learned, you know, obviously not tell them, say, look, you know, growing up, growing up in an African-American community, I understand people. I understand these people that right. you're on a service, like the way right. we're going about it is probably not a good idea. Like, cause we're, right. you know, when I, before I got there, what they were doing, they would go like one time every six months. 
Another, yeah, you got to build a success. You got to gain people's trust. They want to see you every day. So once, so once a week, I'm in certain centers, seeing mm-hmm. them. I said, "Look, wow, that's great. Man. You got to, you got to gain that trust." So just for me, like you said, I think I found that was my purpose, and um, and this is my purpose. And like for me, I get fulfillment out of doing this and getting a text message or email say, "Hey, man, thank you for what you said. You know, change my yeah. life." So yeah. you know, I see a lot of you know brothers that look like me in there that are struggling. And right. you know, just to see them get that life turned around and, and start going the right direction, man, for me, it's, it's a happy thing. Yeah. If I can, you know, I'll say this now, I'll say this offline. If I could be of help or service in any capacity, man, feel free to reach out. Oh, that's, something that, that's something that I definitely want to, you know, get involved with. And, and especially if you got your stamping it, you're proving it. Hell, I mean, you'll be able to recruit a ton of people and. I'm one of those people. I'm like, hey, yeah. however I can help in any capacity, yeah. uh, I definitely want to uh, help if I can. And it, it leads me to this point of, you know, I have a three-year-old now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's at that age now, Mike, where, you know, he just had a birthday. And uh, anyone that comes in the house or any family member that he sees, he's talking about a present. Is that a present? Is that a present for me? Is that a- <laughs> So, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's in the lines of, you know what? This is the time we've got to start teaching them. Like, you know, you can't have it. You can want everything, yeah. but you, we're not going to give you everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so this, ho- the holidays, we're actually planning with Alfred Street to do, uh, to adopt a family, mm-hmm. uh, to adopt some kids similar to his age. And we're collecting toys as we speak. He's got a ton of toys and we, we we're going to start that process with him so he can understand the art of giving. You know, when you give, you receive a lot more in return. Yeah. So that's what we are with that, man. But I know you got a busy schedule, Mike. Man, you know, I, 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 I agree one thousand yeah. percent what you said, man. That's that's yeah. that's like spot on. Because like my wife, we had that conversation, but my kids, because like I said, sometimes they don't get real life and situations, and she's like, "No, nah, we gotta show them." Because like I'm sitting there preaching this stuff to the world. But I'm like, man, my kids be one of those. Like you said, your kid can be that kid that as they get older, they don't understand it. It could be a shell shock. We can go down a bad, bad path. So, like you said, teach them early. So, I agree, man. So, I want to just piggyback on that because that's very, very important for parents that are listening. Like, you know, you teach your kids, you know, at a young age. Like, like you said, you can't have everything. Sometimes you got to work for yeah. it. Like, yeah. Are in life, like, how good you got it. You know what I'm saying? So, I agree 100%. I, I didn't want you to take that lightly, what you said, because that was very, very important. Well, I, I appreciate that. that. Call, I, call issues at some point. So, that's, that's what's mm, up. I appreciate that. Is there anything that I missed that we didn't talk about that you wanna you wanna share. Is there anything that comes to mind? No, actually, no. You you uh you covered everything on the spot, man. I was gonna say I, I'm grateful and thankful that you had me on, man, to be part of this. You know what you've been doing. I mean, watching your work, you're doing good work, and like I said, keep pushing this message, man. Um, yeah. it's important, you know, for just not only you know other athletes to hear, but just people in the world to hear this, man. Um, to see because right. you never know who's listening, who might be going through something. They might take something what. We the one of us experienced like wow, I was experienced with DQ went through, man. Like yeah. this really, you know, changed, you know, changed my mind. Said, okay, he got through it. Okay, he did this. You know, you just never know, man. So just mm-hmm. you never know who's listening, man. So just keep pushing. Right. Hey man, I th- those are great words coming mm-hmm. from a great man. And uh again, I appreciate your time and your perspective. Most again, time. if I could help with anything you're doing moving forward, feel free to reach out, man. Don't hesitate. Mike, I appreciate it, man. It's yeah, been great. Thank you, brother, man. Take it easy. Blessings to the fam, man. To everybody else. All right. All right, same, same. All right, brother. All right, brother.